I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. My friends, this week is part two of the sermon, Loving Before Leading. Loving Before Leading. I've told you once before that I like to read to my twins. Their mother and I have always felt that our love of reading is the most significant gift that we can pass down to them. Last summer, my daughter and I read one of my favorites, George Orwell's 1945 classic, Animal Farm. Animal Farm, the story begins with a revolutionary old boar. This boar decides that it's time to break free from human oppression and exploitation. The animals want to be free. So some calculating pigs led the revolt. They kicked the original landowner, Mr. Jones, off the farm. And the pigs systemized their radical vision of freedom and equality into a political ideology that they dubbed as animalism. The farm animals were free. Nevertheless, hierarchy soon developed. As imagined, the pigs became the decision makers and the leaders. Horses and, horses and cows provided the labor with little input. And there were slogan chanting sheep that would repeat whatever political propaganda the pigs provided. All the while, the cunning and conniving pigs moved into Farmer Jones's house. They began wearing Farmer Jones's clothes. The pigs even began to walk on two hind legs like humans. The pigs do this, of course, while threatening the other animals with the repeated lines, you don't want Mr. Jones back, do you? We'll keep you free. We will keep you safe. Animal Farm. It's a moral fable which thinly veils a blistering political critique. For Orwell, it was the Russian Revolution of 1917. Orwell was blasting the cruel dictatorship of Stalinism. Yet the power of Orwell's allegory is how it captures so much of the human condition. It captures how even the noblest ideals are susceptible to becoming destructive ideologies. The most well-intentioned leaders can be given to greed and pernicious will to power over time. And even those of us who deem ourselves as thoughtful, intelligent, and otherwise independent thinkers can start sounding like mindless sheep 
spitting out ideological talking points of the ruling pigs. There's a reason, my friends, that I cite this allegory in relationship to today's text. For many scholars of the Hebrew Bible view the Pentateuch, or the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, similar to the ways they view Animal Farm. Rather than a true narrative per se, these books provide us with narrative truths. Rather than verifiable figures of human history, these legends provide us with verifiable tendencies of the human condition. Comb through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You'll find stories that document human temptation, fear, anxiety, greed, and cultural insecurity. You'll find legends about life, about God's love and care, as well as our inevitable need to create idols for ourselves. And as recorded in the book of Exodus, you'll find lessons about the high price of human freedom and the great level of responsibility that comes with it. Oh, let me give you an example. Between the years of 900 and 500 BCE, the nation of Israel struggled under their oppressive leaders as well as foreign domination and the Hebrew prophets began to express God's particular concern for the most vulnerable in society. And in oral narratives and subsequent writings, Egypt came to represent and embody all forms of human oppression. And God's people were called to welcome the stranger among you for you were once strangers in the land of Egypt. Similarly, it's God's power to deliver the Hebrews from Egypt that may have carried a special message for a nation living in exile in Assyria, in Babylon, in Persia. For the prophets were saying, don't look the local gods for your safety and security. Don't bow down to other deities in hopes of care and comfort. Fight the temptation to turn away from the God who has brought you thus far and has blessed you. This is why God's commandments begin with a clear reminder and warning. I am the Lord thou God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other God before me. The prophets are clear. Times may be difficult for us as a nation. You may feel vulnerable and you may feel all alone and you may even feel like your options are limited. You may feel like you could either die out here in the wilderness or return to bondage in Egypt. But it's at these moments when you feel deep down in the valley of despair that 
This moment when circumstances have you feeling worn out and beat down, and during these times when those in power seem most corrupt and plain low down, this is the time when you have to look to the hills from whence cometh your help. Realizing that all of your help and all of your strength and all of your power comes from the Lord. no other gods before me. Oh, in many ways, I can hear what the prophets are telling the people. I can hear what they're saying and the way that they're using this narrative in Exodus to convey the sentiment of American poet and literary genius James Weldon Johnson. God of our wearies, God of our silent tears, thou who has brought us thus far on the way, thou who has by thy might led us into the light, keep us forever in the path we pray, lest our feet stray from the places, our God, where we met thee, lest our hearts drunk with the wine of the world we forget thee. Thou shall have no other gods before me. If we are honest with ourselves, if we're honest with ourselves, so many of the problems that plague our world today are a result of our making false idols of worship. Late great theologian Paul Tillich defined the sacred as that in which we place our ultimate value or our ultimate concern. God, or the ground of all being, as Paul Tillich would have put it, is where we direct our greatest energy and our effort in claiming and in defending. For whatever we desire the most, whatever we cling tightest to, Whatever we cherish the most, that represents our ultimate concern. That is our God. When we look across the span of world history, we see that most of our greatest tragedies were a result of human actions. Humans who valued something so much that they were willing to kill, steal, and destroy in its name. Consider Native American genocide in the name of conquest. Greed and avarice so fueled the Spanish crown that they were willing to enslave and exterminate up to 70 million Native inhabitants in the first half of the 16th century alone. The expansion of empire became their ultimate concern. The land became their god. And conquering sheep just kept repeating, they're savages. They need our civilization. They need our cross. They need our crown. Thou shalt have no other God before me. Recall the North Atlantic slave trade. 
The trafficking of human bodies could increase profits and hasten the development of the American colonies and the British territories. Maximum profit was their ultimate concern. Thus, the enslavement of other human beings was just an uncomfortable, though necessary, reality. Profit was their god. Can't you hear the sheep? The African was born to be a slave. They're cursed descendants of Ham. Slavery is the natural order. Thou shall have no other God. Think about those today, those today who wantonly kill in the name of Allah, a name that they have so perverted. It seems that their fear of liberal democracy, coupled with appeals to concentrated theocratic power, leads terrorists to commit unconscionable acts in the name of an angry God. Fear becomes the object of these individuals' faith. Thus, dread becomes their God. Can't you hear the sheep? Freedom of religion and equality of women, that's the work of the infidel. We know what God wants. Thou shalt have no other God before me. Last week in this sermon, when we discussed Moses' defensiveness, we attributed his temporary inability to empathize with the people. Moses failed to see that their cry for water was about so much more. Their cry was about their anxiety. Their critique was about their uncertainty. Their lashing out at him was about their fear. And rather than acknowledging the source of their pain, Moses replied, why do you attack me? It's not my fault. Thus Moses failed the first test of leadership because he failed the test of empathy. But this week, we should not let the children of Israel off the hook, for they needed another God. They needed a new source of security and protection. This is why they kept threatening to return to Egypt. This is why they ultimately created a golden calf to worship. For rather than having faith in the God that brought them out of Egypt, and rather than having faith in one another, they turned toward their own self-centered ends. And they let fear trump their faith. Is this where we are as a nation? Is this who we are as a country? Are we creating our own gods? There's a critical mass seeking a tough-talking strong man to fix our problems. He promises safety. He promises security. But in the words of Amos, they trample on the heads of the poor and deny justice to the oppressed. 
And then we wonder why so many continue to languish on lowly islands of poverty and suffering. How long before we realize that we cannot put our trust in a golden calf with empty promises? Thou shalt have no other God. There's those who have put their trust in weapons and warfare. They've allowed the NRA to feed them talking points that only a bad guy with a gun can only be stopped with a good guy with the gun. Yet the over 30,000 deaths last year in this country by guns, only about 3,000 were from a defensive posture. Not to mention, studies show that people who own guns are more likely to be the victims of gun violence, whether it's by break-in, whether it's through domestic disputes, or whether it's by suicide. All the while, NRA leaders are using their dues to pay Congress to roll back background checks on the mentally ill, promote more liberal concealed carry laws in public venues, and even right now, fighting for the legalization of militarized technologies such as gun silencers. And for those who the NRA cannot buy off, They try to terrorize and intimidate with the most violent and aggressive sheep among their ranks. We wonder why our society has become one nation under a gun. But I hear the voice of the Lord saying, Thou shall have no other God before And then, finally, there's others of us. There's others of us out of fear and cynicism. We've begun to hoard resources for ourselves. We want to drain public schools of valuable resources. We want to close the gates of our institutions of higher learning in the name of merit and standards. And we want to privatize every dimension of our lives from Little League to trash pickup, to healthcare. We have to hold on to and protect our privilege. We have to build tall walls around our elite access. We make false gods out of our perceived social status. We even make gods out of ourselves. That's why I'm here to say you and I must remember the words, the first commandment, thou shalt have no other God. This was the message the prophet sought to provide a wayward nation. Exodus provides the allegory that the prophets employed to warn Israel of its wanton ways. People, don't give in to despair. Do not give in to cynicism. Your only options are not bondage in Egypt or dying in the wilderness. You have more options than worshiping a pharaoh or worshiping a golden calf. And I am here to say today, you and I have more options. We have more options 
than concentrated wealth and extreme poverty. We have more options than blind allegiance to the political left or the political right. And we have more options than either defending the Second Amendment or allowing guns that can shoot over 500 people at the rate of one per second. There are other options. We have help. Your help and my help comes from the one who heard our cries in the land of Egypt. Our help comes from the one who told us what is good and told us and showed us how we should treat one another, do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly before your God. And our help comes from the one who shows us what it means to embrace the stranger, care for the most vulnerable, and provide a preferential option for the poor and suffering, not the rich and powerful. All of our help, all of our capacity to help ourselves comes from the Lord. For if we, you and I, if we want to lead one another through the dark night of suffering and the cold, cruel days of corruption, then we must look to the Lord. We must look to the one who always loves us whenever we're at our lowest. And then we must begin to love one another the same. For it's this love, the love that God has given us and the love that we are called to provide to one another, it's this love that will lead us out of the dark night of despair. It's this love that shall be our exit.